Chapter One, Part Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter One, Part Two of the Temple. Spite of her thoughtlessness and frivolity, the young dressmaker pronounced these last words with so much firmness that, to his great regret, rodolph perceived the impossibility of gaining the desired information respecting germain through her means and his mind revolted at the idea of laying any snare to entrap her into a betrayal of her secret he therefore after a slight pause gaily replied well let us say no more about it then but upon my life i don't wonder at you who can so well keep the secrets of others guarding your own so closely me have secrets cried rigolette i only wish i had some more secrets of my own it must be very amusing to have secrets do you really mean to assert that you have not a nice little secret about some love affair love affair are you going to persuade me you have never been in love said rodolph looking fixedly at rigolette the better to read the truth in her tell-tale features been in love why of course i have with m giraudeau m cabrion m germain and you are you sure you love them just as you do me neither more nor less oh really i cannot tell you so very exactly if anything i should say less because i had to become accustomed to the squinting eyes of m giraudeau the disagreeable jokes and red beard of m cabrion and the low spirits and constant dejection of m germain for the poor young man was very sad and always seemed to have a heavy load on his mind while you on the contrary took my fancy directly i saw you come now my pretty neighbour you must not be angry with me i am going to speak candidly and sincerely like an old friend oh don't be afraid to say anything to me i am very good-natured and besides i feel certain you are too kind you could never have the heart to say anything to me that would give me pain you are quite right but do tell me truly have you never had any lovers lovers i should think not what time have i for such things what has time got to do with it why everything to be sure in the first place i should be jealous as a tigress and i should be continually worrying myself with one idea or another and let me ask you whether you think it is likely i could afford to lose two or three hours a day in fretting and grieving and then suppose my lover were to turn out false oh what tears it would cost me how wretched i should be all that sort of thing would put me sadly behindhand with my work i can tell you well but all lovers are not faithless and a cause of grief and sorrow to their mistress oh bless you it would still be worse for me if you were all goodness and truth why then i should not be able to live without him for a single hour and as most probably he would be obliged to remain all day in his office or shop or manufactory i should be like some poor restless spirit all the time of his absence i should imagine all sorts of things picture to myself his being at that moment pleasantly engaged in company with one he loved better than myself and then if he forsook me oh heaven only knows what i might be tempted to do in my despair or what might become of me one thing is very certain that my work would suffer from it and then what should i do Why? quietly as i live at present it is much as i can manage to live by working from twelve to fifteen hours a day 
where should i be if i were to lose three or four days a week by tormenting myself how could i ever catch up all that time oh i never could it would be quite impossible i shall be obliged then to take a situation to live under the control of a mistress but no no i will never bring myself to that i love my liberty too well your liberty yes i might go as forewoman to the person who keeps the warehouse for which i work she would give me four hundred francs a year with board and lodging and you will not accept it no indeed i should then be the slave and servant of another whereas however humble my home at least there is no one there to control me i am free to come and go as i please i owe nothing to any one i have good health good courage good heart and good spirits and now that i can say a good neighbour also what is there left to desire then you have never thought of marriage marriage indeed why what would be the use of my thinking about it when poor as i am i could not expect to meet with a husband better off than myself look at the poor morels just see the consequences of burthening yourself with a family before you have the means of providing for one whilst so long as there is only oneself to provide for one can always manage somehow and do you never build castles in the air never dream dream oh yes of my chimney ornaments but besides them what can i have to wish for but suppose now some relation you never heard of in your life were to die and leave you a nice little fortune twelve hundred francs a year for instance you have made five hundred sufficient to supply all your wants perhaps it might prove a good thing perhaps a bad one how could it be a bad one because i am happy and contented as i am but i do not know what i might be if i came to be rich i can assure you that when after a hard day's work i go to bed in my own snug little room when my lamp is extinguished and by the glimmer of the few cinders left in my stove i see my neat clean little apartment my curtains my chest of drawers my chairs my birds my watch my table covered with the work confided to me left all ready to begin the first thing in the morning and i say to myself all this is mine i have no one to thank for it but myself oh neighbour their very thoughts lull me into such a happy state of mind that i fall asleep believing myself the most fortunate creature on earth to be so surrounded with comforts but i declare here we are at the temple you must own it is a beautiful object although not partaking of the profound admiration expressed by rigolette at the first glimpse of the temple rodolph was nevertheless much struck by the singular appearance of this enormous bazaar with its many diverging passages and dependencies towards the middle of the rue du temple not far from the fountain which stands in the corner of a large square may be seen an immense parallelogram built of wood and surmounted with a slated roof this building is the temple bounded on the left by the rue du petit and on the right by the rue percée it leads to a large circular building a colossal rotunda surrounded with a gallery forming a sort of arcade a long opening intersecting this parallelogram in its length and breadth divides it into two equal parts which are again divided and subdivided into an infinity of small lateral and transverse openings crossing each other in all directions and sheltered by the roof of the building from all severity of weather 
in this bazaar new merchandise is generally prohibited but the smallest fragment of any sort of material the merest morsel of iron brass lead or pewter will here find both a buyer and a seller here are to be found dealers in pieces of every coloured cloth of all ages qualities shades and capabilities for the service of such as wish to repair or alter damaged or ill-fitting garments some of the shops present huge piles of old shoes some trodden down of heel others twisted torn worn split and in holes presenting a mass of nameless formless colourless objects among which are grimly visible some species of fossil soles about an inch thick studded with thick nails resembling the door of a prison and hard as a horse's hoof the actual skeletons of shoes whose other component parts have long since been consumed by the devouring hand of time yet all this mouldy dried-up accumulation of decaying rubbish will find a willing purchaser an extensive body of merchants trading in this particular line then there are the vendors of gimps fringes bindings cords tassels and edgings of silk cotton or thread arising out of the demolition of curtains past all cure and defying all reparation other enterprising individuals devote themselves to the sale of females hats and bonnets these articles only reaching their emporium by the means of the dealers in old clothes and after having performed the strangest journeys and undergone the most surprising transformations the most singular changes of colour in order that the article traded in may not take up too much room in a warehouse ordinarily the size of a large box these bonnets are carefully folded in half then flattened and laid upon each other as closely as they can be packed with the exception of the brim they are treated in every respect the same as herrings requiring to be stowed in a cask by these means it is almost incredible what a quantity of these usually fragile articles may be accommodated in a small space of about four feet square should a purchaser present himself the various specimens are removed from the high pressure to which they have been exposed the vendor with a dégagé air gives the crown a dexterous blow with his fist which makes the centre rise to its accustomed situation then presses the front out upon his knee concluding by holding up with an air of intense satisfaction at his own ingenuity an object so wild so whimsical and withal so irresistibly striking as to remind one of those traditional costumes ascribed for ages past to fishwomen applewomen or any whose avocation involves the necessity of carrying a basket on the head farther on at the sign of the goût du jour beneath the arcades of the rotunda elevated at the end of the large opening which intersects the temple and divides it into two parts are suspended myriads of vestments of all colours forms and fashions even more various and extraordinary in their respective styles than the bonnets just described there may be seen stylish coats of unbleached linen adorned with three rows of brass buttons a la hussarde and sprucely ornamented with a small fur collar of fox skin great coats originally bottle green but changed by age and service to the hue of the pistachio nut edged with black braid and set off with a bright flaming lining of blue and yellow plaid giving quite a fresh and youthful appearance and producing the most genteel and tasty effect coats that when new bore the appellation as regards their cut of being a queue de morue of a dark drab colour with velvet shag or plush collar and further decorated with buttons once silver gilt but now changed to a dull coppery hue in the same emporium may be observed sundry pelisses or polonaises of maroon-coloured cloth with catskin collar trimmed with braiding 
and rich in brandenburg's tassels and cords not far from these are displayed a great choice of dressing-gowns most artistically constructed out of old cloaks whose triple collars and capes have been removed the inside lined with remnants of printed cotton the most in request being blue or dark green made up here and there with pieces of various distinct shades and embroidered with old braid and lined with red cotton on which is traced a flowing design in vivid orange collar and cuffs similarly adorned a cord for the waist made out of an old bell-rope serves as a finish to those elegant déshabillés so exultingly worn by robert macaire we shall briefly pass over a mass of costumes more or less uncouth in the midst of which may be found some real and authentic relics of royalty or greatness dragged by the revolution of time from the palaces of the rich and mighty to the dingy shelves of the rotunda of the temple these displays of old shoes hats and coats are the grotesque parts of the bazaar the place where rags and faded finery seek to set up their claim to notice but it must be allowed or rather distinctly asserted that the vast establishment we are describing is of immense utility to the poor or persons in mediocre circumstances there they may purchase at an amazing decrease of price most excellent articles nearly new and whose wear has been little or none one side of the temple was devoted to articles of bedding and contained piles of blankets sheets mattresses and pillows farther on were carpets curtains every description of useful household utensil close at hand were stores of wearing apparel shoes stockings caps and bonnets for all ages as well as all classes and conditions all these articles were scrupulously clean and devoid of anything that could offend or shock the most fastidious person those who have never visited this bazaar will scarcely credit in how short a space of time and with how little money a cart may be filled with every requisite for the complete fitting out of two or three utterly destitute families rodolph was particularly struck with the manner at once attentive eager and cheerful of the various dealers as standing at the door of their shops they solicited the patronage and custom of the passers-by their mode of address at once familiar and respectful seemed altogether unlike the tone of the present day scarcely had rigolette and her companion entered that part of the place devoted to the sale of bedding than they were surrounded by the most seducing offers and solicitations walk in sir and look at my mattresses if you please said one they are quite new i will just open a corner to show you how beautifully white and soft the wool is more like the wool of a lamb than a sheep my pretty lady step in and see my beautiful fine white sheets they are better than you for the first stiffness has been taken out of them they are soft as a glove and strong as iron come my new married couple treat yourselves to one of my handsome counterpanes only see how soft light and warm it is quite as good as eiderdown every bit the same as new never been used twenty times now then my good lady persuade your husband to treat you to one let me have the pleasure of serving you and i will fit you up for housekeeping as cheaply as you can desire oh you'll be pleased i know you'll come again to see mother bouvard you will find i keep everything i bought a splendid lot of second-hand goods yesterday pray walk in and let me have the pleasure of showing them to you come you may as well see if you don't buy i shall charge you nothing for looking at them i tell you what neighbour said rodolphe to rigolette this fat old lady shall have the preference she takes us for husband and wife i am so pleased with her for the idea that i decide upon laying out my money at her shop 
well then let it be the fat old lady said rigolette i like her appearance too rigolette and her companion then went into mother bouvard's by a magnanimity perhaps unexampled before in the temple the rivals of mother bouvard made no disturbance at the preference awarded to her one of her neighbours indeed went so far as to say so long as it is mother bouvard and no one else that has this customer she has a family and is the dowager and the honour of the temple it was indeed impossible to have a face more prepossessing more open and more frank than that of the dowager of the temple here my pretty little woman she said to rigolette who was looking at sundry articles with the eye of a connoisseur this is a second-hand bargain i told you of two bed furnitures and bedding complete and as good as new if you would like a small old secretaire very cheap here is one and mother bouvard pointed to one i had it in the same lot i do not usually buy furniture but i could not refuse this for the poor people of whom i had it appeared to be so very unhappy poor lady it was the sale of this piece of furniture which seemed to cut her to the very heart i dare say it was a family piece of furniture at these words and whilst the shopkeeper was settling with rigolette as to the prices of the various articles of purchase rodolph was attentively looking at the secretaire which mother bouvard had pointed out it was one of those ancient pieces of rosewood furniture almost triangular in shape closed by a front panel which let down and supported by two long brass hinges served for a writing-table in the centre of this panel which was inlaid with ornaments of wood of different patterns rodolph observed a cipher let in of ebony and which consisted of an m and an r intertwined and surmounted with the count's coronet he conjectured therefore that the last possessor of this piece of furniture was a person in an elevated rank of society his curiosity increased and he looked at the secretaire with redoubled scrutiny he opened the drawers mechanically one after the other when having some difficulty in drawing out the last and trying to discover the obstacle he perceived and drew carefully out a sheet of paper half shut up between the drawer and the bottom of the opening whilst rigolette was concluding her bargain with mother bouvard rodolph was engrossed in examining what he had found from the numerous erasures which covered this paper he perceived that it was the copy of an unfinished letter rodolph with considerable difficulty made out what follows sir be assured that the most extreme misery alone could compel me to the step which i now take it is not mistaken pride which causes my scruples but the absolute want of any and every claim on you for the service which i am about to ask the sight of my daughter reduced as well as myself to the most frightful destitution has made me throw aside all hesitation a few words only as to the cause of the misfortunes which have overwhelmed me after the death of my husband all my fortune was three hundred thousand francs twelve thousand livres which was placed by my brother with m jacques ferrand the notary i received at angers whether i had settled with my daughter the interest of this sum remitted to me by my brother you know sir the horrible event which put an end to his days ruined as it seems by secret and unfortunate speculations he put an end to his existence eight months since after this sad event i received a few lines written by him in desperation before this awful deed when i should peruse them he wrote he should no longer exist he terminated this letter by informing me that he had not any acknowledgment of the sum which he had placed in my name with m jacques ferrand as that individual never gave any receipt 
but was honour and piety itself that therefore it would be sufficient for me to present myself to that gentleman and my business would be regularly and satisfactorily adjusted as soon as i was able to turn my attention to anything besides the mournful end of my poor brother i came to paris where i knew no one sir but yourself and you only by the connection that i had subsisted between yourself and my husband i have told you that the sum deposited with m jacques ferrand was my entire fortune and that my brother forwarded to me every six months the interest which arose from that sum more than a year had elapsed since the last payment and consequently i went to m jacques ferrand to ask the amount of him as i was greatly in want of it scarcely was i in his presence than without any consideration of my grief he accused my brother of having borrowed two thousand francs of him which he had lost by his death adding that not only was suicide a crime before god and man but also that it was an act of robbery of which he m jacques ferrand was the victim i was indignant at such language for the remarkable probity of my poor brother was well known he had it is true unknown to me and his friends lost his fortune in hazardous speculations but he had died with an unspotted reputation deeply regretted by all and not leaving any debt except to his notary i replied to m ferrand that i authorized him at once to take the two thousand francs which he claimed from my brother from the three hundred thousand francs of mine which had been deposited with him at these words he looked at me with an air of utter astonishment and asked me what three hundred thousand francs i alluded to to those which my brother placed in your hands eighteen months ago sir and of which i have till now received the interest paid by you through my brother i replied not comprehending his question the notary shrugged his shoulders smiled disdainfully as if my words were not serious and replied that so far from depositing any money with him my brother had borrowed two thousand francs from him it is impossible for me to express to you my horror at this reply what then has become of this sum i exclaimed my daughter and myself have no other resource and if we are deprived of that nothing remains for us but complete wretchedness what will become of us i really don't know replied the notary coldly it is most probable that your brother instead of placing this sum with me as you say has used it in those unfortunate speculations in which unknown to any one he was engaged it is false sir i exclaimed my brother was honour itself and so far from despoiling me and my daughter he would have sacrificed himself for us he would never marry in order that he might leave all he had to my child dare you to assert madam that i am capable of denying a deposit confided in me inquired the notary with indignation which seems so honourable and sincere that i replied no certainly not sir your reputation for probity is well known but yet i can never accuse my brother of so cruel an abuse of confidence what are your proofs of this claim inquired m ferrand i have none sir eighteen months since my brother who undertook the management of my affairs wrote to me saying i have an excellent opportunity of obtaining six per cent send me your power of attorney to sell your stock and i will deposit the three hundred thousand francs which i will make up with m jacques ferrand the notary i sent the papers which he asked for to my brother and a few days afterwards he informed me that the investment was made by you and at the end of six months he remitted to me the interest due at least then you have some letters on this subject madame no sir they were only on family matters and i did not preserve them unfortunately madame i cannot do anything in this matter replied the notary 
if my honesty was not beyond all suspicion all attack i should say to you the courts of law are open to you attack me the judges will have to choose between the word of an honourable man who for thirty years has had the esteem of worthy men and the posthumous declaration of a man who after being ruined in most foolish undertakings has found refuge only in suicide i say to you now attack me madame if you dare and your brother's memory will be dishonoured but i believe you will have the good sense to resign yourself to a misfortune which no doubt is very severe but to which i am an entire stranger but sir i am a mother if my fortune is lost my daughter and i have nothing left but a small stock of furniture if that is sold we have nothing left sir nothing but the most frightful destitution staring us in the face you have been cheated it is a misfortune but i can do nothing in the matter answered the notary once more madame your brother has deceived you if you doubt between his word and mine attack me go to law and the judges will decide i quitted the notary's in the deepest despair but what could i do in this extremity i had no means of providing the validity of my claim i was convinced of the strict honour of my brother and confounded at the assertion of m ferrand and having no person to whom i could turn for advice for you were travelling and knowing that i must have money to pay for legal opinions and advice and desiring to preserve the very little that i had left i dared not commence a suit at law it was at this juncture this sketch of the letter ended here for what followed was covered with ink erasures which completely blotted out the lines at the bottom of the page and in the corner rodolph found this kind of memorandum to write to the duchesse de lucenay for monsieur de saint-remy rodolph remained deeply thoughtful after the perusal of this fragment of a letter in which he had found two names whose connection struck him although the fresh infamy which appeared to accuse jacques ferrand was not proved yet this man had proved himself so pitiless towards the unhappy morel had behaved so shamefully to louise his daughter that the denial of a deposit protected by certain impunity on the part of such a wretch appeared to him by no means improbable this mother who claimed a fortune which had disappeared so strangely was doubtless used to a life of ease and comfort ruined by a sudden blow and knowing no one in paris as the letter said what must have been the existence of these two females perhaps utterly destitute and alone in the midst of this vast metropolis End of chapter 1, part 2 Read by Celine Major